with you home, and uh, when you have a chance to sit down, just think through it, and, and think through a way, if you haven't yet, maybe you have already, but if you haven't already yet determined a way that you can share your testimony in a compelling manner, um, I would encourage you to sit down and think that through prayerfully. Last Sunday, we preached, or we heard from Peter Jackson at the Prophecy Conference, so we were looking at uh, future things, and one of the things that I take away from that, whenever we hear pro- prophecy, uh, the Lord is returning, and His return is getting closer, and so that means we need to be busy about sharing the gospel, the good news of how to be forgiven of your sins, so you can be ready for when Jesus returns. And uh, one of my responsibilities here at church is to lead outreach and evangelism. And uh, what a timely period in history in order to be busy about evangelism. And so we're going we're gonna to continue on this series. Uh, last time I said we're gonna, we want to create a culture of evangelism here. And that's not the, the best word because we already have somewhat of a culture of evangelism here. So rather not create a culture of evangelism, we want to build on that. We want to grow in that. And we mentioned how we're not trying to start another program. We're not trying to uh, start another ministry. uh, Because bottom line is, people reach people. Uh, Programs, ministries, all that kind of stuff, they can maybe attract a crowd. But really, the the bottom line is, people reach people. And that's what we see in the Bible, and that's what we see in life. And so, you know, it can be an intimidating prospect in the cultural climate we live in, the political climate, the social climate, uh, people would rather, you, hey, don't push your beliefs on me. And, you know, we're not about pushing beliefs on people, by the way. Uh, we want to share the truth. We want to share what's happened to us, how Jesus has tra- drastically transformed our lives, and we want to share that with other people. But sometimes people see it as, oh, you're trying to push your faith on me. Uh, sometimes people think they get annoyed, uh, that's your Christian stuff, just leave me alone. And uh, so it's, it's challenging, it's intimidating, and we understand that. That's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Uh, but, you know, if, if we had the cure for cancer, we would be crazy not to go around sharing it. We have the cure for something much worse than cancer, the cure for sin, and that is Jesus Christ. And people, they, they need to hear the good news. Unfortunately, many of them don't realize that they need to hear it. So it is challenging, but we have been commissioned by God. He wants us to share the truth. The, the, the Bible says, Jesus said, the truth shall make you free. There's so many people out there, they're bound in sin, they're bound to addiction, to selfish lust, they're just destroying their lives with sin, and we have the answer to free them. And so that's what we want to do is take the good news to them. Tonight we are going to look at the Church of Jerusalem, the very first church, and its characteristics that made it an evangelistically vibrant church. So we're going we're gonna to launch out what we're calling Operation Evangelium. Evangelium is the Latin word for the, the word gospel. And so this is uh, the operation, this is the mission that God has sent us on to spread the gospel in here in Bayswater, right here in our surrounding area. And so that's the mission, and we're going to look at the Church of Jerusalem, eight characteristics of the church to fix our foundation of evangelism. So we have eight characteristics that we're going to notice. Number one, it's gospel-focused. The Church of Jerusalem was gospel-focused. Number two is others-friendly. Number three, spirit-empowered. 
for prayerful. And you might be able to start seeing the acronym. Anybody catching on? Environment of growth. What's that word spell there? Gospel. Okay, so good. Hopefully this will be easy to remember. And unified and passionate. So our eight-letter acronym, Gospel Up. The Church of Jerusalem had a Gospel Up mentality. And that's the mentality that we want to have here at Calvary Baptist Church. In many ways, I think we already do have some of that, but we want to build on that. So let's focus then, first of all, on our first characteristic, Gospel Up. And we'll be looking at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. A Gospel-focused church, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So Jesus is calling us to be witnesses unto him. Witnesses unto him. A gospel-centered church, an evangelistic-centered church, is a witnessing church of Jesus Christ. Before we get too much farther, let's take a moment and pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts this morning or this evening. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for the Word of God and the pattern that it lays out for us. Lord, may this not just be a, a dry seminar talking about biblical things where we have a, a sense of, oh, yeah, that was good, and then we walk out of here and we just live our life the way we've always lived it. Father, I pray that tonight you would meet with us, that your spirit would come down through the word of God, it would speak to hearts, and that you would help us, Lord, to take our evangelistic outreach up a notch. Father, because there are people out there hurting, they need hope, they need help, and we have the answer. And Lord, I pray tonight you, you would help our love for those people to grow. Just as you love those people, may we have the same heart toward them as well. And so we pr pray for your blessing this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So the uh, Jerusalem church was a gospel-focused church. And first off, we want to mention Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We, we, they were called to be witnesses unto Jesus Christ. Uh, witnessing about Jesus Christ, that's, that's the gospel message. The gospel is all about Jesus Christ. His death on the cross for our sins, his burial, and his resurrection, which means we have the hope of eternal life. Do you believe that? Say amen if you believe that. Amen. We have the hope of eternal life. And we get to share that good news with other people. So let's just break down some passages. I, I went through and I looked at Acts chapters 1 through 8, basically. And I, I picked out passages that relate to these, and th that's where I got these, these eight characteristics from, from these eight chapters. Um, and, and so Acts chapter 2 gives us the message of Peter at Pentecost, and he preaches the gospel very clearly. He preaches the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, really, is what, what he's saying. Uh, notice the resurrection was preached at Pentecost, which is merely roughly 40, 50 days after Jesus rose again. So Pentecost, the gospel is clearly preached. 
All right, Acts chapter 2, verse 46. You have 3,000 new converts that come to Christ at that message. And then shortly after that, you have a verse that says that they're daily in the temple. Uh, go over to Acts chapter 5, verse 12, 19 through 21 and 42. Again, you have indications there where they are daily in the temple preaching. The apostles are daily in the temple preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple at the time of prayer. And they see the lame man at Gate Beautiful. Peter, what does Peter do? He fastens his eyes upon him. He says, hey, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee. Rise up in the name of Jesus Christ and walk. The man is healed. Um, the people that see this, they, they, they've seen this guy laying on the street for however long. He was, I think, 40 years old. Uh, when he was healed, so they've seen him begging at this spot for a long time, and all these people, all of a sudden, now he's leaping and dancing um, around the temple, and they're like, what happened to him? And they see Peter and John, they say, well, this guy was healed by by Peter, and he says, I healed him in the name of Jesus Christ. He preaches the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 4, the religious leaders don't like this, that Peter and John are preaching in the name of Jesus. And so they call them to the council. At the council, what do you think Peter talks about? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter's got this thing about the death and resurrection of Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 33, what happens? Peter and John, they go back to their company and they say, hey, look, this is what happened. We got arrested uh, you know, they told us to stop preaching. Uh, there's a time of prayer in Acts chapter 4. They all pray together for boldness. What, what, do they, what do they do? The Holy Spirit fills them. They are filled with great grace, and they are preaching about the resurrection. After they'd just been told not to by, by the authorities, they go back out to preach the resurrection. What happens next? Acts chapter 5. The apostles are arrested. Stop preaching about Jesus. That's what they're told. What happens? They keep preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The early church was grounded. It was founded on the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What did the Apostle Paul say? If Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. But what's so awesome is these 12 men, these 12 apostles... And there were more of them. There was about 500 that saw Jesus alive at one time. They knew the reality of Jesus' resurrection. And they wouldn't shut up about it. And that's what the early church was founded on. It was founded on a gospel focus. Also, you have Stephen, one of the first what we might consider deacons. He lost his life, the very first church martyr. He lost his life because he was preaching. The church, after it was scattered, when uh, Saul began his persecutions, the church scattered from Jerusalem. It says they went everywhere preaching the word. Even when they had been persecuted, you might think that would keep them from, from preaching. Oh, preaching is bringing a, a persecution on us, so we'll, we'll keep our, our, uh, our witness to ourselves. No, no, no. They went everywhere preaching the word. And then you have Philip in Acts chapter 5 as well, going to Samaria. Uh, Potentially, you could look at that. That's the beginning of the missions movement right there. 
uh, the word of God leaving Jerusalem, going out to other cities. So the early church, the church of Jerusalem, was founded on a gospel focus, especially preaching the resurrection of Christ. Uh, hey, the world, many people in the world, they know Jesus died. But if Jesus is still dead, it doesn't, he's no different than Muhammad, he's no different than Buddha. But if Jesus is alive, which he is, he is God. And that makes all the difference. So just to kind of um, summarize this, the key reference for the gospel focus, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we are witnesses. And that's a very important word. Uh, our responsibility when it comes to evangelism is not to coerce, it's not to make followers, it's, it's, to, share, it's to witness, it's to share the truth, to share the facts. Um, keywords, witness and daily. We are witnessing, we are bearing record of an event or a fact, i.e. the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So we are witnesses, but then also notice, I've also chosen a second keyword, daily. And we talked about how the apostles were daily in the temple, daily preaching the word. Witnessing that our goal every day should be to witness for Christ. Really, every day that should be on our mind. Lord, would you give me an opportunity today to witness for Jesus Christ. Even if it's just one person, one person a day. If you were to witness to one person every day for 10 years, how many people would you witness to? Over 3,000, 3,650 if I'm not mistaken, roughly. That's a lot of people. Just one person a day. I think it was back during Missions Month we talked about Frank Jenner. Is that, is that right? He committed to the Lord. I will talk to 10 people a day about their soul. He did that for, I believe it was 10 years. So thousands of people influenced by, by just that one man. If we would just make it a daily commitment. I believe it was D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, preached in the U.S., England, maybe some other places. But he made a commitment to God. I will talk to one person a day. Witness to one person a day. I'm not saying you have to do that in order to be spiritual. That's a commitment between you and God, but I'm just, I'm just pointing out the fact that that is the, that is the um, characteristic of the early church. If we're going to be an evangelistically vibrant church, we have to be thinking about it every day. So that's the gospel focus. The early church was a witness of the resurrected Christ through preaching and practice, and they did it on a very regular basis, if not daily. All right, fixing our foundation. Number two of the eight characteristics, others-friendly. They were a others-friendly church, welcoming others. Look at Acts chapter 2 through 8, and you just see the, the early church welcoming new converts to Christ. Acts chapter 2, they welcomed 3,000 souls into their, into their uh, newly formed body. So they're embracing new believers. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000 souls added at the day of Pentecost, at the, the preaching of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they have these 3,000 people that join their church, but what, what happens? 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So they, they welcome these new believers in, and they, they go to work right away. They get them involved in, in fellowship, in, in discipleship, in worship. Uh, they're teaching them doctrine. They're, they're beginning this process of discipleship. Really, that's what they're doing. They're, they're welcoming them. Hey, you've come to Christ. Welcome to the family. Let's teach you now what it means to be a Christian. You know, the devil loves to see new converts not getting discipled. He loves to see Christians bouncing from church to church because they can't really get plugged in. Uh, they don't get grounded that way many times. He loves to see them confused by this teacher and that teacher. He loves to see all of that. But an a, a a evangelistically vibrant church, it's not just sharing the gospel and seeing people saved, but it's also getting them grounded. And how do you do that? Well, you have to be welcoming. You have to say, hey, come, come. We, we'll welcome you in. We'll teach you what it means to be a Christian. We'll, hey, we'll work with you in your life because um, it, it's challenging. Life is challenging. Um, they were fellowshipping loyally together with one another. Also, they were loving and sharing with each other. Verse 44 of Acts 2. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted to them all men as every man had need. This is an incredible act of love and kindness. If we had... Okay, so, so at the Feast of Pentecost, you had people from all over the world at this feast to worship at this feast in Jerusalem. Well, you have 3,000 people. Many of them are probably not even from Jerusalem. They hear the gospel, and now they, they join the church. They don't have a job. They don't have permanent lodging, potentially. There's a huge financial burden right there. What if 3,000 people just rocked up in one day and said, Calvary Baptist Church, you're, you're our home church? Would we be as, as free-giving as the church of Jerusalem, to meet their needs. But that's what you see here in Acts chapter 2. You see a very generous, very giving heart. And that's, that's where I, I see this church. This, this church is others-friendly. They're welcoming others to come, be a part of this. And, and they're willing to back it up with their giving, with their generosity, Also, worshiping in unity. Worshiping in unity. Now, these characteristics that we're bringing out, you, you might be thinking, well, how does this have to do with evangelism? This isn't reaching more people. This is teaching uh, new converts. This is fellowshipping and worshiping together and, and caring for each other. You said, how does this translate to, to reaching other people? Well, what we'll see is that the world, the other people in Jerusalem, they started noticing this incredible love that the disciples were displaying. And they began to jump on board saying, hey, that is awesome. I want to be part of that. And so when other people in the community, the lost and broken people that don't have community, they don't have uh, experienced the true love and bond in Christ, and, and they're missing out on that, that deep longing that they have for God in their life, when they see that true love, that, that's like a magnet. It will attract 
them to that. And worshiping together in unity, Psalm 133 says how, how sweet it is for, the, for brethren to, to dwell together in unity. You know, that unity, again, it's attractive. And, and worshiping together in unity, it, it fuels, it's how we get excite each other to go out and do the work that Christ has called us to do and to, to go out and, and witness and share with more people about Christ. So it's vital that we come together, worshiping together in unity. That will then encourage us to go back out. Notice verse 47 says, or starting in verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. There again, daily they're in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Singleness of heart, they're genuine. There's no, uh, it's not a, a cloaked, malicious motive. They, they love people. They're just, they're, being, they're glad to fellowship together. Uh, praising God and having favor with all the people. That's a very interesting phrase, having favor with all the people. The church saw, or the, the world around the church saw what in the world is going on at First Church of Jerusalem. That's a pretty, pretty incredible love. Pretty incredible things are happening there. And it says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You know, when we have the, the right things going on inside the church, then God, I believe, will do His work on bringing more people to the church. He'll look at the church, He'll look at Calvary Baptist Church and say, Hey, they got something good going on there. I'm going to send them some more people. Do you believe that? You, you trust God that, that he'll do it? If you do your part, he'll do his part? So when we love new believers unconditionally, the world's watching and it takes note of that remarkable love. But you know, sometimes, um, well, let me, let me go over to Acts chapter 5 real quick. If you want to just bounce over there. This is a, another interesting verse that we, we find here in Acts chapter 5. Uh, going over to verse 13. Actually, I'll start in verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them. So basically, it's talking about the, the, the people in Jerusalem. They haven't made a choice for Christ yet. And they, they don't dare join. They, haven't, they don't have it within them to join themselves to the new, the, this new church. But the people magnified them. So the apostles, the, nobody was going to jump out and join them. But the people were thinking, wow, what these guys, they're doing some pretty incredible stuff. So you can kind of see there, there's this internal... Struggle, these people, the, the, the community in Jerusalem watching the Christians, watching the apostles, they're like, I don't know if I want to get on board with that because of some of the things I'm hearing. I, I don't know. I'm kind of scared. But at the same time, they're magnifying the apostles, seeing, wow, those guys are doing miracles. They're preaching boldly. But then notice verse 14, and believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes both of men and women. So, so here you, you've got people that are like, I, I'm on the fence, I don't know, I'm scared, but it's, 
All right, I'm, gonna, I'm in. I'm in, guys. I'm going to do it. And out, and out of the community, one by one, people come to Christ. Because they see what's going on in the lives of these spirit-filled individuals. And of course, the church was, was others-friendly. They were welcoming to the community, and they had favor in the community. So just to, to boil this down, others-friendly, key references, Acts 2.41. There were 3,000 added in one day, Acts chapter 5, verse 14. Uh, believers were the more added to the Lord. So the key word, uh, notice the word added, there were added unto them 3,000 souls. Believers were the more added to the Lord, so the key word is added. And that's our idea. We want to add people. Come be a part of the family. Come be a part of God's family here at Calvary Baptist Church. But just know, when we do this, family takes sacrifice. There's a lot of giving, a lot of generosity had to go on. And family can be messy. Acts chapter 6, if you jump over there real quick, what happens when you get a whole bunch of people together? Well, you have uh, interpersonal conflict. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, In those days when the number of disciples was, what? What's that word? Multiplied, more people. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So, when you get more people, you get more problems. So just remember that. But if we allow the family aspect, the unity in Christ, to overpower that, it's not, it's, we can work through the problems, right? The love of Christ can pull us through those problems. It, it, it's stronger than those problems. So the early church was gospel-focused, others-friendly, Look now at the third characteristic, spirit-empowered. Spirit-empowered. And again, we'll go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 for this one. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, Holy Spirit, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. All right, so power here is referring to enabling ability. The enabling ability. Um, now, Jesus said in, Act, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, um, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth, right? So what Jesus is saying there in that context is, I have the authority to send you out to make disciples. And he does. He's God. He created the universe. So he has the authority to send us out to do the work, what we refer to as the Great Commission, to go make disciples, here in this context, the word power is being used as this idea of ability. So here's the thing. We have the authority. We have been authorized by God himself through Jesus Christ to go make disciples. But we need the Holy Spirit's power to give us the ability to accomplish what he has given us the authority to accomplish. Does that make sense? So Jesus has given us the authority the Holy Spirit is where we get the ability, the enabling ability, the enabling power to accomplish the work. 
just a few examples here of, of powerful, spirit-empowered um, occurrences in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, and he begins to preach. He shares the gospel with the, the religious leaders. Acts chapter 4, verses 31 through 33. And when they had prayed, so you have a group of, of believers, Peter and John, the believers are, have prayed. It says, The place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Uh, also, just a, a note here, when you see the Holy Spirit involved filling people, oftentimes you see the word boldness associated with the Holy Spirit. And the multitude of them that, that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So here again is another mention of the amazing generosity of the early church. And with great power gave the apostles witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. So with great power they preached the gospel. So this is really what we're driving at. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability. It's very closely connected with, with boldness. All right? It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit just all of a sudden, blah, and you just have this, like, you know every question that people have to, to witness. It, it doesn't mean that you have uh, just, you're all of a sudden Billy Graham. You're just, you're the greatest evangelist in the world, all right? You still have to study God's Word. You've got to learn the verses, the Bible verses, to share with other people. You've got to, you, you have work to do to become a better evangelist, to become a better witness, but what it does mean is the Holy Spirit gives you the power. He gives you the ability. He's going to give you this boldness. When you're fearful in a situation, and you, I don't know how they're going to respond. I don't know if this person is going to want me to share the gospel with them. The Holy Spirit then, if you're, if you're allowing him to fill you, he's going to empower you in that moment to be an effective witness. So boldness is a characteristic given to us by the Holy Spirit. We see this also in um, Stephen as well. He was very bold, and it, his boldness actually cost him his life, right? Philip, Acts chapter uh, 8, verse 6, he goes to Samaria, he preaches the gospel. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we see that he is led by the Spirit to go to the Ethiopian eunuch, and uh, the reason I put this out here is because unless we are willing to be spirit-led, we can't expect to be spirit-empowered. If we're not willing to go where the Holy Spirit tells us to go, if we're not willing to do what He's told us to do through His Word, and He speaks to us through His Word. I'm not talking about this, this crazy, mystical, charismatic type of uh, mentality that many people have. All right? they, they, they say, oh, God's given me this Word to do this. And what they say is actually contrary to God's word. Well, God didn't tell you to do that then. Um, and I think a lot of people, they, they, well-meaning people, they get confused. And I'm talking about when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and, and primarily he uses his word of, the word of God to speak to us, to direct us. If we're not willing to be led by the word of God as the Holy Spirit leads us, then why should we expect him to, to give us the boldness when we have an opportunity to witness. 
So, spirit empowered. Just to wrap this up, the key reference there again, Acts chapter 1 8. Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the power. And the key word here is power, ability from the Holy Spirit, enabling grace that God gives us to be bold to preach the gospel. All right, moving over to prayerful. Prayerful. Another characteristic of an evangelistically vibrant church is it is prayerful. Acts chapter 4. Go to Acts chapter 4 if you would. Starting in verse 23. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Uh, again, this is right after uh, John and Peter when they got arrested after the healing of the lame man. And so it says, being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. So they began to pray. Uh, and we see this all throughout. Um, we see this all throughout the the book of Acts. We see it in Acts chapter uh, one, fourteen. The book of Acts really it starts out with a prayer meeting. The early church pattern, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they're in prayers. And then we see this, this praise meeting that happens after persecution. Um, how did the early church deal with the persecution? In prayer. They didn't complain about it. I mean, maybe they did, I don't know. Verse 23, it says they, they told them, they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said. But even if they complained about it, they got to the most important thing, and that was they prayed. And you know what? So a lot of times I hear so much complaining about this and that and the other, and there's persecution and the, the, the politics and PC, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I know. There's a lot wrong with the world. But God can fix it. So let's talk to him about it. Don't tell me about it. I can't really help you, to be honest. But God can. So we, we see them praying. Verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Okay, they're praying about the persecution. God, God, would you just put down these wicked men that are opposing you? Like, give them a good one. You know, just, just strike them dead. That's what they're getting ready to pray. It says, uh, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Wait, 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 wait. Where, where's the imprecatory prayer? Strike them down, God. They're opposing you. No. What did they say? God, we need more boldness to preach your word. We need more boldness to preach your word. Hey, if there's ever a time in my life when, when we need more boldness, it's, yeah, it's today. We, we need more boldness. But let's be honest. Can we just be honest? Things are not as bad here in Melbourne, as they were for the early church? Have any of you been to prison yet? I mean, Stephen got, he got stoned. James got his head cut off. It's not that bad. So until things get that bad, please, don't bring me your complaints. Take your prayers to God. So, the early church, it was prayerful. Uh, that was the apostles' practice. 
Look over Acts chapter 6. This is really important, by the way. Acts chapter 6, verse 2. So this is, again, we read the verse earlier. You have the dispute between the Grecians and the Hebrews about the widows um, being neglected in the, in the daily ministration. So they, and this could have been serious, by the way. These ladies may have been going without food. And they needed this to, to survive. So this is not like a little complaint. All right. Uh, chapter 6, verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. You know, the, the early church, the leadership, understood the importance of the ministry of the word. They were daily in the temple preaching and teaching. Um, and thank God that they had men step up and get into leadership positions to alleviate that need so that the preaching didn't have to be put to the side. Because that is not the way God wants it in His church. The, the preaching needs to be um, emphasized. But it also, notice, they need, in verse 4 it says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the early church leadership knew the importance, the vitality of prayer, the necessity of prayer. And so they made allowance to, to leave themselves free to do that. All right, just to wrap this up, prayerful. Key reference, Acts 23 through 31. We looked at that passage about praying for boldness in the face of persecution, praying instead of complaining. Uh, key word, prayer. There is no substitute for prayer. Now, I, I know most of you probably didn't do American history, but me being from the U.S., we did American history, and we studied about good old General MacArthur. Do any of you know about General MacArthur? Okay, I think he, he was in the Pacific Theater, so he, he might have uh, actually been in Australia. I think he probably did, actually. Um, I know he's in the Philippines. I shall return. All right, so General Delix MacArthur, he has a lot of good... Um, you know, strong statements. There's no substitute for prayer. Uh, I believe he also said after the Korean War, during the Korean War, there's no substitute for victory. Well, as Christians, if we want to see the victory, there's no substitute for prayer. And the early church was definitely a church of prayer. All right, eight characteristics going on now. Environment of growth. We look at the early church Specifically in Acts chapter 2, we've already spent a little bit of time in these verses, Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47. The early church pattern here is, is laid out in verse 42 following, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, discipleship, teaching, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers and worship. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And that all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted, to them, or parted them to all men as every man had need. There's that amazing generosity we talked about, uh, that sharing, that, that communal love. Uh, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God. You just see this great picture of growth, of unity, of, hey, this is life. 
Church is life. You ever see those shirts? They say, I don't know, footy is life, soccer is life. You know, those big ballers, that they just they live in the gym, right? They, they live to play sport, right? Christians ought to have a shirt that says church is life. Because Jesus Christ has totally transformed our life. Church ought to be life. You know, why would the world want to join our church if we're just, if all we're doing is, hey, I want to go do footy on the weekends. I want to go do this. And, oh, I got to squeeze in time for church. Uh, I got to squeeze. Okay, went to church. Now back to footy. Now back to. Uh. What are we saying to the world? Church is, church is something I got to kind of squeeze in. My, but if I miss it, church is, no, church is so much more than that. Church is about growth, going closer to God, growing closer to each other, helping each other grow, reaching others, helping people with real needs. Look, they, they were selling, hey, who wants to sell their house to help uh, meet a, a fellow brother's need? That's, these people were serious when it came to, to helping each other. And that fueled this environment of growth. Because they were letting God really, really take hold of their heart. And they were willing to step up. Hey, hey, Jesus told us to love one another. I'm going to sell my house so I can actually love my brother. Wow. But we see this, this environment of growth, this and we see this resilience, the resilience of the early church. Uh, we won't read the passage again, but again, where Peter and, and John, they come to their company, they, they tell them what happened, they begin to pray for boldness. Look at that resilience. That, that's a sign of maturity. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. Instead of praying to, to God to, to strike dead their enemies, they're more concerned on praying for boldness that they can, they can preach the resurrection of Christ. That was a, that's an example of growth there. These people are committed to Christ, committed to, to living out his, his message, his teaching. So we see a mature, a mature body of believers here at the Church of Jerusalem. Wrapping this one up, environment of growth, key reference, well, we looked at it, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, key word, continued. Growth must be consistent in order to make it to maturity. You've got to be consistent. You've got to continue with it. It's got to be consistent. You've got to be going forward. You've got to be unified together. That's part of growth. If we become distracted, we become divided, we stop growing together. We stop growing as a church. And personal. We need to grow personally, grow spiritually in our walk with Christ. So we need to continue moving forward, continue being consistent, being unified, and being personally involved in this growth. 
All right, moving on to leader examples. Leader examples, we see this in, well, several different places. Acts chapter 2, we see Peter step up and take the, take the lead in sharing the gospel. We also see the apostles, well, all throughout Acts, they are doing this, but specifically a couple of, of references there. The apostles emphasizing the importance of the ministry of the word. Stephen steps up, even in the face of death. We have leadership examples in the early church to spearhead the evangelistic movement. And again, I want to point out Acts chapter 6, verse 4, where we have the leadership of the church. This is what they said, We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. But that's only possible, or that, that, that's possible because they had men step up to fill needs in the church. And can we pray that God will fill some needs that we have here at the church so that we can, we can focus on the ministry of prayer and of the word? All right, let's just wrap up the last two real quick. Ministry of the word. And uh, the focus of the church leadership was on the ministry of the word, I evangelism, discipleship. Uh, let's move to the next one. We have two more. Unified. The early church was unified. And if they hadn't been unified, their evangelistic effort would have been quashed. Because the Holy Spirit, one of the things that, that is essential for the Holy Spirit to work is unity. Uh, endeavoring to keep the, the, the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. We have to be unified if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Again, the book, the church began in prayer, in unified prayer. That's how important it is. They can, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with sing, gladness and singleness of heart. Um, Peter and John, they were unified as they stood before the council. John wasn't saying to Peter, Peter, you idiot, why did you heal that man? Now you got us in trouble. No, John was backing him up the whole way. Amen. We are, we are here followers of Jesus Christ. Um, again, Acts chapter 4. They all go, they meet back up, and, and Peter and John tell the company what happened. When they heard that, they lift up their voice to God with one accord. You know, some people might have been tempted to say, Peter, you're really getting us some bad PR. We don't like being on News 7. Stop it. But it says they lift up their voice in one accord. They were unified. They were unified in prayer. Um, so Peter and the apostles, they were unified standing before the, the council. Key reference, Acts 4.24, they were unified in prayer. In the face of persecution, they were unified in prayer. Key word, one accord. One accord, that's, the idea of that is one-mindedness. Thinking similar, thinking together. In the midst of persecution, they were of one accord. And then to finish this out, Gospel Up, this is our, our acronym, Passionate. Um, 
I don't necessarily have a specific reference for this, but if you just start reading from Acts chapter 2 all the way to Acts chapter 8, you see a lot of passion. These men, these women, this early church, they weren't joking around. They were serious. They were all in. That's the, that is the picture you get from the early church. The apostles, they were willing to go to prison for it. Stephen died for it. The early Christians, their willingness, um, their changed lives, drastically changed. They changed for Christ's sake. They were passionate. Now I'm going to ask you the question. Wouldn't you like to see something like this happen here at Calvary Baptist Church? Thousands of people coming to Christ, the, the knowledge of the truth. Men and women turning from, uh, you know, being rescued from their lives of sin and debauchery, being changed by the grace of God, being, being able to find a place of, of comfort and hope, to find a home. Maybe some have never had a home before. To see lives drastically changed for the better. Well, I would just encourage you, we have the recipe right there. Gospel up. The apostles were willing to be persecuted. Stephen was willing to give his life. The believers were willing to bear the approach that came of following Christ. The thing is, we want the result, but I don't know if we're willing to take the consequences. To be an evangelistically thriving church, we must want it, and we, we must work it. Now, it's not dependent on us. It's a work of God. All right? Without God, it's not going anywhere. But it is a collaborative work. God left us here on earth for a reason. If it was all the Holy Spirit, if that's the only, only factor involved in, in evangelism... Why would we still be here? Why would Jesus tell us to go? We have a part to play. And I look at the book of Acts, I see these, these disciples, they were passionate. They wanted it. But it's not going to simply happen. And it needs to be a team effort. It needs to be a team effort. Everybody's got to come on board and say, yes, I want to be a part of this. Operation Evangelium. Gospel up. So I want to ask you tonight, um, do you think, you personally, do you think our church measures up to a gospel evangelistically vibrant church.
Here's uh, some survey statistics. I'm not going to tell you um, where they're from necessarily or, or much about them, but here's a church, and let's just consider uh, some of these statistics. What is the gospel? Here's what some of my, my um, results were. People answer, it's the good news, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Which is good. Those are two good, good answers. What is evangelism? A common response was sharing, telling, or spreading the gospel. Sharing and living the gospel. I, I like that one because we can tell the gospel, but if our lives aren't backing it up, then we really shouldn't even be telling it. How do you share the gospel? All right, I've asked some people, how do you share the gospel? A way of life, building relationships, personal testimony, conversations, tracts, gospel literature, relate to needs when opportunities come up. I think those are all great ways to to share the gospel. Um, When opportunities come up, by the way, can you think of any ways that Jesus teaches us to create opportunities? It's not just that we wait until some person comes up to us and asks us about the gospel. Jesus gives us ways in Scripture to create opportunities. We might get into some of that as we we go on. Uh, Why do you share the gospel? I've asked some people this. Uh, Love for people. I think that's probably the, the best answer. Because we love people. People need salvation. Definitely true. It's commanded. It's commanded by Christ. Now, I will just say this. Yes, it is commanded. And out of love for God, we should want to share the gospel. But if we are sharing the gospel simply because it's a command, our evangelistic effort is going to be a little bit uh, lacking, I think. It's going to lack the joy, and it's going to lack the effectiveness. It's going to lack the love for the person. It's a blessing to serve God. Definitely, it is a blessing to serve God. To be an encouragement to the lost, they definitely need encouragement. Motive is very important. When we share the gospel, I would encourage you, what it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What was God's motive for sending Christ to die on the cross for our sins? It was love. Love is a powerful thing. Let that love soak into your heart. You know what love will do? Love will overcome the fear of sharing the gospel. You say, oh, I I would share the gospel more, but I'm just too afraid. Is it really that you're too afraid? Or is it maybe that you don't love the person enough to overcome the fear? So why why don't you share the gospel? It seems inappropriate in some settings. I would actually agree with that. Sometimes it's probably not the right time to share the gospel. Uh, When the person does not want to hear about God, Sometimes that is, that is the case. I forget. Unfortunately, this could be the case. We sometimes, we forget. Busyness. Oh, I just, I don't have time to stop and talk to this person. 
Have you ever been that? I, I find myself sometimes I get in that situation. Uh, what I should do is make it a habit to leave ahead of time so I don't feel rushed in case I have to have an opportunity to stop and chat with someone and get into a gospel conversation. Fear. Fear is probably the number one answer why Christians do not share the gospel. Funny thing about fear is, I wouldn't say nine times out of ten, but many times out of ten, those fears are fabricated. The only place they exist is right here, between our temples. And when you actually start talking to the person, they actually have a good conversation. They're like, yeah, I was actually hoping somebody would talk to me about this. Or, or hey, yeah, absolutely, I'm, willing, I'm happy to chat about this kind of thing. You'll be surprised how many times you look at somebody and you say, ah, they're never going to want to talk about the gospel. And you might actually have a very pleasant conversation with that person. So fear, a lot of times, the only place it exists is right here. Not knowing what to say or how to say it. I, I get that. But that is a solvable issue. Because you can learn the Bible verses, and the Holy Spirit can teach you. He can help you know what and how to say. All right, this one I kind of lumped together. Where, when, uh, with whom do you share the gospel? Anyone I feel God has opened to the gospel uh, or prompts me to share with. Anyone who will hear. Social media, friends, family, neighbors, regular contacts, work, my children. Hey, again, those are all great. We ought to be looking for every possible avenue to share the gospel. I've reflected a little bit on, uh, since January, on some things here at church. And uh, we've had visitors. We've had visitors throughout the year. Praise the Lord. Uh, we've had uh, several of our church family have brought visitors. Uh, we've heard testimonies. Even tonight, praise, hey, praise God for the testimonies we heard tonight about opportunities to share the gospel with people, even in China. Isn't that pretty crazy? People in China, we're sharing the gospel. And Cambodia. Um, praise the Lord. Um, Unfortunately, though, sometimes it's, it's typically the same few people that are sharing these testimonies. We've had an Easter invitation push. Uh, we've done letterboxing. We have the, uh, on the sign over there, the letterboxing and social media initiative this year. So, hey, we're, we're, we've got some things going for us here at church. Praise the Lord. Uh, we have reported a few professions of faith throughout the year as well. So the Lord has, has given us some things to do. We're doing some things. Praise God. Um, but let's, uh, let's consider this, though. I asked some people, how many times do you share the gospel each week? And again, I'm not saying where these statistics are coming from. But notice this. One, one responder. Not frequently. Not last week, unfortunately. Not regularly. Twice, twice a week, it varies a couple times as God leads. Not enough times, zero. Not enough two people last week, less than one with others. Five or six times with my children, zero times in the last week. Not very often when opportunity arises, two, three times a week, twice a week. Not sure when it seems possible. Now, I'm not saying this is representative of our church, 
But if this were representative of our church, would that match up to what we see in the book of Acts? It would probably fall quite a bit below, okay? Now, again, I'm not saying, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that is representative of our church, because I really don't know. But people that I, I got this, this survey from, that's, that's the results we got. So there's definitely area for us to grow. Definitely room for us to improve in this area. But here, again, is the, the scriptural recipe, if you will, for how we at Calvary Baptist Church can take that up a notch. Like I said, God's given us some, some things going on here. We, we've got some work that we're doing. But I would challenge each and every one of us tonight or this week, and it's right there. Take a picture of that if you need to, and pray on this. Pray on this. God, what do I need to do to be more gospel-focused? Others-friendly, spirit-empowered, prayerful, to contribute to an environment of growth, uh, leadership example, uh, unity, passion. Can I, can I ask you to do that? I'm, 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 I'm asking you to take that. Pray on that this week. And ask God that, that our church would take a, a step forward. That our church would gospel up. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had tonight. We thank you so much for the example of uh, an evangelistically vibrant church that you give us in the book of Acts. Father, we're thankful for it because it gives us uh, a direction to go and it gives us encouragement. God, you have done this before. And we're thankful that you are doing little bits of it here at Calvary Baptist Church even as we speak. We had testimonies tonight, in fact, of your working in our midst. Father, our desire is that we would see that expanded, that we would see that multiplied and magnified, and God, that you would be lifted up and truly glorified in Calvary Baptist Church. Lord, that is our our heart's desire. You know that. Lord, you know that we've been working toward that. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to take another step toward gospeling up. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to share your love with others. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.